You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. In most places, the defining feature of night is darkness. And darkness can make us unsure of our footing. So some people go slow or stay still, lest they trip over a root, knock into a wall. Conversely, some people get behind the wheel of a 50,000-pound truck and go hurtling through the night with a mission. Al is one of these. My name is Albert Creighton Wilkinson, and I was born in 1940. I used to be a truck driver. 28 years I drove truck commercial. Before that, I worked in construction in the mid-70s. Construction went pretty much belly up, and I figured that the last thing people are going to buy after they pay their rent are groceries. And so I was very fortunate to get on with a grocery company. I had a good career out of it. The tractor, of course, it had the steering wheels. Some of them have a look like a conventional pickup truck, except they're probably five times bigger. Trailers varied from uh, 20-foot trailers to 53-foot trailers. There was a time when uh, United Grocers there in Portland would hook up three trailers. They call them triples. And you'd pull three trailers to some place, either up or down I-5. And uh, I did that several times. I didn't have any mishaps with the triples. Myself and another truck driver, we were sitting in a coffee shop and we were talking to somebody. They were saying, well, aren't you guys scared when you see that back box swaying three feet back and forth behind those other two trailers? And we both looked at each other and said, who looks in the mirror? We just keep going forward. We don't know what's going on behind us, but uh, and that's sometimes how you had to how you had to handle the situation. You would, I guess, you'd pull over and park it and run if you look back and see where that trailer was at times. I drove out of Portland, Oregon, and I drove Washington, part of Idaho little bit in Northern California, mostly Oregon. I liked the Southern Oregon coast the most. The scenery, the people were really super nice and not a whole lot of traffic. Most of Al's work was at night. He preferred the night runs. Daytime runs for a grocery company entailed a lot of shorter back and forth trips with more loading and unloading and waiting around. I didn't like day work. I liked the idea of getting out on the road. The night runs, they would start at sometimes 11 or midnight, 2300 to, to midnight they would start. And you'd usually do about seven hours driving to your destination and unload. And you could go get a, a piece of pie, pie a la mode or a cup of coffee and go up the road and find a wide spot and take the 20 minute power nap and you were good for another eight hours. And then uh, do your return trip. 
Al drove the night runs by himself, but he didn't feel alone. It was kind of different. You were out there by yourself, had a lot of time to think. Actually, God always rode with me. He was always there sometimes to talk to him. It might sound funny, but I know there was times and places that I went and I went back later, maybe in the daylight, and holy mackerel, I went down that road three weeks ago in the middle of the night. How did I do it? Well, he was with me, and it did make me comfortable, and it, it did make sense. It worked for me, we'll put it that way. Al was always aware that even on familiar routes, driving in the dark was like driving on a new road each time. It'd have hills to go over. And it'd be dark, you couldn't see, no street lights, anything like that. Now and then there might be a, a, a light on a barn somewhere, a quarter of a mile off the road. And uh, the wind was blowing, you'd have to remember that, you know, it could be a tree blew down and you're the first one to come across it. Or it's raining hard. Every landslide starts small, come around a corner. I always maintain, still today I maintain, that somebody says, oh, I know that road. I've been down that road. You don't know that road. You don't know if there's a school bus broadsided right around that corner. There wasn't the last time you went down there, but you don't know what's around the corner. So every, every trip would be like a new experience. There wasn't a whole lot that was bad about it. Well, except the weather. They'd go out. It didn't matter what the weather was doing, you'd go out. It could be snowing, ice, whatever, and I'd have to chain up. Of course, the flip side of the solitude and time to think while driving at night is the risk of falling asleep at the wheel. Al had an arsenal of tools to combat this possibility. Crank down the windows, shake your head, and get as much cold air blowing on you. Slap your face, you know, turn up the radio. Hope you don't nod off. If you nodded off once, you nod off twice, you better pull over and take the nap. But sometimes it's hard to find a, a spot to pull over when you get that tired. It's quite a picture, Al alone in his truck in the middle of the night, slapping his own face with music blasting out of the cab windows while the wind whipped his hair around. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it took to get you to that wide spot. <laughs> well, there are also regulations in place to prevent drivers from pushing themselves too hard and increasing the risk of accidents due to fatigue. The regulations were I could drive 10 hours a day I could be on duty 15 hours a day was the maximum. So it would be a combination of driving and work time could not exceed 15 hours. There's lots of regulations in transportation, which, you know, airline pilots and sea captains, river pilots and truck drivers have to abide by or they can get into trouble. And there's all sorts of trouble you can get into driving a big rig. Al's been pretty lucky, for the most part. Except for this one time. Yes, I was involved in an accident that was preventable, that shut down Interstate 5 in Oregon for a week, and I held the record of shutting the highway down for, I think it was about 15 years. 
I held the record. Al's accident wasn't due to fatigue or an extra long rig. That night, he was only pulling one trailer, which is a good thing. He was doing a route called the Medford Turn between Portland and Medford. I did that as often as I could because it was pretty easy work. It was just five hours down to Medford, five hours back, and you were done. It was pretty much of a no-brainer. It was pretty good duty. And uh, one particular winter, it was in, in November of 1996, they had an awful lot of rain. They had snow, and then they had a warm rain that came up out of California and melted the snow, raised all the rivers, had some landslides, some highway flooding. I was on one of these Medford turns. It was about quarter after one in the middle of the night, 0115. Military time is 115 in the morning, pitch black, raining. Any light that was on the pavement was basically a reflection coming off either my headlights or somebody else's headlights. I was returning from Medford. I was going north, back to Portland. I was um, just about to the main Roseburg exit. And there was a big bang, thump. And the light, uh, the, uh, I was knocked out. When I came to, I was tilted at about a 45 degree angle, strapped in the seat against a guardrail that was broken down. And I looked around and I, it was pitch black. There was no lights, no windows, no nothing in the tractor. I looked around and I saw what I thought first was smoke coming up from behind me out the back window, which turned out to be hot oil and antifreeze, whatever, coolant that had spilled. And I bumped the back window and it fell out. And then I realized that I had crashed. I'd hit something and I didn't know what it was. I couldn't figure out what was happening, but something wasn't right. I tried to get out of the truck. The seatbelt was, couldn't get it undone. I was able to get my pocket knife out, cut the seatbelt. My leg was jammed in the steering column. I got it free. I couldn't get the door open. So I, I just kind of stood up in the seat and went right out that window I had knocked out. And I was hanging onto a handrail that's there and kind of feeling my way down expecting to go down to six or seven feet from the cab to the pavement and it was just I was on the pavement and it still didn't dawn on me what had happened and the, and I was blacked out again I guess it was said later on I was heard making a, some expressions that uh, are probably appropriate for this conversation. 
What the f did I hit? <laughs> I was walking around saying that. What the f did I hit? And then I looked up, and then I realized here was this huge sinkhole. This huge hole, probably 40 feet deep and 100 feet long, took out a lane and a half of the freeway, collapsed when I went across it. When I went across, of course, it dropped down, and the frame of my tractor, the truck, hit solid on the solid end of the hole, and it sheared the engine totally off the frame. It went sliding down the highway. The cab sheared off. I was trapped in it. It went the other direction and tilted against the guardrail, which was now dangling because the mudslide had taken out the guardrail. And the tractor went down in the hole. What was left of it, the front wheels, the rear wheels, the transmission, the frame, the fuel tanks, they went down in the hole. And there was about four feet of the trailer the back of it hanging over the hole with the tailgate, the lift gate rails hanging down into the hole. It sheared everything off the trailer. All that went down in the hole. The trailer was sitting up there, no wheels or nothing on it. Al's mind was straining to make sense of what had just happened. Nothing was where it was supposed to be. I wandered around at that time. It was dark. After the fireman come up over the concrete divider, He's shining his flashlight around, and that's when I realized that it was just the cab that was up there. And it looked like a Volkswagen sitting over there, about the size of a little bug Volkswagen. Well, he asked me, I said, yeah, I was driving that. He wanted to know if there was anybody with me, and I said, no, I was by myself. I said, but you gotta help the guy down below. Yes, you heard right. He said, you gotta help the guy down below. I said, I don't know how many more down in that hole. What had happened, after I opened up the hole, a car came by and got hung up in it somehow or another, the edge of the hole, and spun around. And that young fella jumped out of his car. He got out and was jumping up and down, yelling, waving his arms, yelling, sinkhole, sinkhole, sinkhole. Well, who's going to hear that in the middle of the night? He's out there in the middle of the freeway. Then along comes right away truck lines northbound behind me. Somebody going southbound warned him that there's something going on at that mile post 123 and a half. There's something going on there. I don't know what it is. They told him as he's going northbound. So he's alert to it. He'd slowed down to about, he told me later, about 45 miles an hour. And then he sees this kid out there jumping up and down, waving his arms. Well, he didn't want to hit the kid. So he went as far to the right as he could, hoping to get his tractor past the hole. Well, it caught his right front wheel, the edge of it did, and it flipped him upside down in the hole. He's strapped in his tractor. It flipped him into the hole and pulled two of his three trailers. He was pulling three trailers into the hole, totally out of sight. And the rear trailer was sticking out of the hole. Then along come a third semi. And he saw the hole, the trailer sticking out of the hole and all that. 
and he swerved to the left and went through the concrete divider with his truck. The guy that was standing out in the middle of the highway yelling, sinkhole, sinkhole, about that time decided maybe he better get out of the way. Sadly, he didn't get out of the way in time. This young fellow didn't have a flashlight, a flare, or anything. How are you going to stop trucks doing 50, 55 miles an hour on a rainy, dark night? <laughs> you don't. You let it work itself out. And uh, unfortunately, he lost a foot over the deal. He ended up getting his foot caught between the rear wheels and the concrete divider had to have his foot amputated. This is a lot to take in, even after the fact, so let's recap. The situation that Al was trying to make sense of was that while he was driving at night in the pouring rain, his truck had opened up a sinkhole 40 feet deep and 100 feet wide. The cab in which he was sitting was sheared off and slid along the road until it hit a guardrail, knocking him unconscious. The engine, wheels, and fuel tank dropped down into the hole leaving the trailer dangling on the edge. A guy in a car got out in the middle of the road and tried to warn approaching vehicles, causing a truck pulling three trailers to swerve and plummet into the sinkhole. Around this time, a third truck came along and crashed through the divider. Amazingly, everyone lived, even the driver of the triple that went down into the hole. The driver was down there and he heard me up on the top. That's how he knew how to get out of his tractor and work his way up out of there. Al was in pretty bad shape. He had whiplash, an injury to his leg, and had suffered a blow to the head. In shock, totally in a shock, drifting in and out of consciousness. I had to have been because, I mean, it was just, you just get this laid back, relaxed feeling that, oh well, you know. And I was walking around there, and that's when I was dumbfounded, you know, what did I hit, what did I hit? And that's when I realized, you know, how big the thing was. That's about when the firemen showed up, I guess, because all I could see in front of me was lights and red lights and that sort of thing. And from there, I was in and out of it, really, and they took me to the, uh, up to the emergency room. By six o'clock that morning, it was on the national news. It was all over. They knew about it in Florida. At the end of it, Al realized that if the cab hadn't sheared off, the outcome might have been very different. They probably would have taken me out, oh, you know, shirt, what's left of his shoes and his pants, put me in a five-gallon bucket, and that would have been it wouldn't have survived it. In addition to Al's injuries, all of which he recovered from, and another guy losing his foot, the driver who went into the hole had a fair amount of emotional trauma. The fellow in the, in the right-of-way truck, he never did go back to pulling a, a, a regular run. He, he never did, and I heard later that he ended up in a, an assailant asylum in, in Washington and uh, he just could never do it again. You might be wondering how a 100-foot sinkhole just opens up in the middle of a major freeway. It's a fair question. 
as I mentioned earlier, there'd been a lot of snow and runoff and water, and the river, the Umpqua River, had rose rose up quite a bit. And the summer before, the local garden club had tried to grow some climbing roses on a big rock wall on that part of I-5 there in Roseburg and their bark dust or whatever they brought in there had plugged the drains on the west side of the highway so it wasn't draining out from under the highway the water that came off that rock wall on that side of the freeway all saturated in there and seeped down underneath the highway then when the Umqua River rose up and started to recede it sucked all that mud out from under the freeway and nobody knew it because it was in the middle of the night I guess when it really cut loose. There was about 12 or 15 inches of asphalt pavement through the years that built up to that and the way that me going across it had opened up this hole, a sinkhole. It's tempting to place blame on those well-meaning gardeners but... I think the state of Oregon was a little negligent on maintain it because there was a walking path there. They could have checked it and see what the flood damage was doing. At any rate, there's quite a few pieces of my tractor are in the hole. It was just too dangerous, really, for somebody to go down there and get all the freight out. So it's buried 40 feet under I-5 down there in Roseburg. There's freight still buried under there. So that's how it happened. And I have to say, Al's reaction was a little surprising to me. Shit happens, <laughs> you know, and nothing I can do about it. I'm just glad I was alive and, and nobody was, I didn't realize at the time that this fella had lost his foot over it, but that was the worst of it. I got a hole in my leg and a whiplash for about six months, but I went right back to work the next day. I didn't have a problem going out driving. It has never really bothered me or given me, you know, any problem. I don't know if that's normal or if it's just that I'm that hardcore. I can break down over the simplest things, but uh, a lot of things I see or done doesn't bother me. That's just the way it is. It's hard to describe. I just, you know, just figured it wasn't my time. that God helped me climb out the window, and, and we went on. It, uh, I just didn't let it, didn't let it affect me. Uh, it didn't affect me. Al has a theory about why he was so unruffled by the whole thing, while the other truck driver ended up never working again. He saw the hole. He saw what happened. He tried to avoid it. I didn't see the hole. The hole wasn't there until I went across it. I had uh, whatever that hidden protection is that I was knocked out and I didn't, I didn't, it happened so fast, I didn't have time to even know what happened. According to Al, the reason he fared so much better than the guy who ended up in an asylum is that he didn't see what he was hurtling towards. In essence, he was in the dark, metaphorically speaking. That seems like an important takeaway. That sometimes the things you can't see are best unseen. There's always a hidden blessing in everything. 
It would be a blessing, not knowing that you're heading towards a giant gaping hole and there's nothing you can do about it. In this case, maybe you can thank the darkness. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Much of the other music in this episode is by Miles Boyson. You can hear Nocturne on iTunes, and while you're there, we would so appreciate it if you would rate us and write a review. It really helps. What also helps is you just spreading the word. Tell your friends, your coworkers, your mother. You can find out more about Nocturne at nocturnepodcast.org and let us know about your own strange, transcendent, or nerve-wracking nighttime stories by emailing us at hello at nocturnepodcast.org. Thanks for listening.